Hey everyone. Welcome to Crime and Time on the Rocks. So we're here with episode number two. Yay, we made it through one. We made it through one, so we're halfway to two. <laughs> no, we're at two. <laughs> anyway, so we have an interesting cocktail for you today. What is it called? It's Have a Heart. Have a Heart. Okay. So Valentine's-ish type I mean, I guess my story's not really conducive to Valentine's Day, but yours might be. Well, it mine was done on Valentine's Day, but it's kind of not loving. Mine's not loving at all. <laughs> anyway, so the Have a Heart cocktail was first originated in 1934. Oh, fun. And it was found in Duffy's official mixer manual we must get we have to get it so if you have it send it to us yes but you don't know where to send duffy's well yeah Yeah. if anyone actually listens to us we'll listen to us we'll listen to us so anyway have a heart cocktail is 1.5 ounces gin Uh uh-huh three quarters ounce swedish punch okay what is swedish punch so i googled it and it's a liqueur it's spiced the closest thing it resembles is a spiced rum okay so you can actually make it with light rum darjeeling tea and spices but i didn't do that i used some sounds kind of christmasy yeah it does i used some puerto rican rum some spice rum so we're drinking gin and rum it's a gin and rum cocktail it's a gin and rum cocktail okay you know i've never had gin i'm kind of apprehensive well this is a good way to try it because it's already mixed with something you like which is rum Okay, and it's not going to taste like a pine tree? It probably won't. Okay. Um, so we used Beefeater rum, a Puerto, R- a Puerto Rican, Beefeater gin. Beefeater gin. A Puerto Rican rum instead of the Swedish punch. It's got lime juice and a pomegranate grenadine, which differs from your ordinary grenadine because it smells like carpet. I was going to say vinegar, but carpet works too. It smells like wet carpet soaked with vinegar. <laughs> But it's not cheap. How much did you pay for it that stupid tiny bottle? $14 for That's a tiny insane. bottle. insane. And then a lime wedge for garnish, and it looks it's really pretty. It's very pretty. It's like a picturesque looking drink. It's a kind of millennial pink. It is. It's, it's, the opaqueness is odd, though. Yeah. It's got to be the rum and the grenadine, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so. Okay. That's what's on the rocks. That's what's on the rocks. You want to try it? Yes, I do. I'm a little nervous. Okay, here goes. Oh. Wow. You do taste the pine trees. <laughs> yes. It's lime you and pine trees. The, it's lime and pine trees. It's lime and pine trees. Well, we'll sip on that while yeah. I'll tell my story. Woo! Okay. Tell your story. So I'm going to... I'll drink it. I'm going to... Well, obviously I'm going to drink it because that's, that's what we do. We drink. So the story I'm going to tell you is about the murder of James Schlosser. <laughs> that's not an easy... James who? That's not an easy word to say. <laughs> When you've already started consuming cocktails. James Schlosser. You mean we pre-gamed? <gasps> Don't oh. tell our secrets. This okay, could... James Schlosser. How did James Schlosser die? So on Saturday, July 11th, 1970, a man was fishing on the banks of the Yellowstone River. Oh, we he... went there this summer. You did. We did. You ditched me for counting. You, you ditched my counting crows trip for taking your beautiful children Across, across the country. country on a road trip where they saw things that they won't remember for the rest of their lives we had really good seats to counting crows you though. know whatever i saw buffaloes a lot of them so anyway this particular guy did not see buffaloes he <laughs> snagged a human body at the end of his fishing line that's gross yeah 
Um, he, it was 1970, no cell phones, etc. Right. So he drove to the nearest ranch, called the police. Deputy Bigelow arrived. <laughs> That's his name. I'm sorry. Deputy Bigelow arrived. <laughs> his name wasn't Deuce. He was the first one there because he, he wasn't was... an American gigolo. <laughs> he was not an American oh, gigolo. <laughs> I'm sorry. The cocktail is already warming my heart because it's half hard. He was a deputy. Okay, yes. Deputy Bigelow. Yes. He was stationed at the entrance to Yellowstone Park. He responded to the call. Got so it. Fun job. Once they were able to drag the body from the water, he uh-huh. knew immediately that it was murder. Why? Because yeah, wow. there was no head on the body. That's a pretty good giveaway that it's not natural causes. Yeah. So I have felt like losing my head, but I have never seen it happen. Also, imagine the poor fisherman. Yeah, gross. I don't know that I would fish anymore. And I don't think I would eat fish from the Yellowstone River. No. Okay. So, so. The, the county coroner responded, as well as the sheriff. Upon closer inspection, they noticed that it was a male. He was dressed only in shorts. Obviously, the head was missing. The arms had also been severed at the shoulders, and the legs were severed at the knees. So it wasn't a man. It was a torso. <laughs> it was a torso. I, uh, yeah, I know. It was a torso. People have things. People have things. What did they, Where were the hand? Did they find the other parts? They did not find the other it's parts. It's odd to say parts in referring to a human. Right. Okay. So not only that, but the abdomen and chest were covered in stab wounds, including a really particularly large hole over the chest. Okay. So more clues that it's murder? More clues that it's murder. Lots. 27 clues that it was murder. <laughs> 27 clues that it was murder. <laughs> so the coroner... And not suicide, right? N- it was... N- could have been... <laughs> could have been suicide. Okay. Sorry. The coroner, uh, he was pretty shocked to learn that once he concluded his examination, he found that the chest had been cut open and the heart had been removed. And okay. Aside from that, he could tell that there was 25 stab wounds and that the w- body had been there for about 24 hours. They had no way to identify the body because at the time there was no DNA, yeah. there was no head, there was no hands, so they couldn't do fingerprinting, dental, anything like that. So they sent a teletype to throughout Wyoming, which is where they found the body, and all the surrounding counties. states. States. I was going to say counties, but I meant states. Well, because Yellowstone is in the middle of like four or five states, right? Mm-hmm. How many? I don't know. You were there. I was there. I was there. I was there. It was. We went through, I think, three. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they sent a teletype saying, hey, this is the description of what we found. Uh-huh. If you have anything, any missing persons, let us know. Okay. The sheriff concluded that because of the severity and the butchery of the body that it had to be some kind of cult murder, which... It wasn't even the 80s satanic panic yet. It wasn't the 80s satanic panic, but it was right after the Sharon Tate murders. Oh. So interestingly, from what I read, right after that, there was a bunch of other culty satanic type murders. And I think that kicked off the satanic panic. I even wrote that here. Start of satanic panic. Yeah, could be. I remember doing, I was belonged to this church group and we would have, um, or was it a cult? Well, it wasn't a cult, but we would have scavenger hunts. So I don't know what, I I think, thinking about it now, I don't know what parents would let their teenage daughters run around with a 20 somethings man after dark, just going up to random strangers' houses and not ringing the doorbell and saying, do you have this item on my list? But that is what we did. We did that for birthday parties, condoned by our parents. (laughs) Well, one of the things that we did in one of these 
scavenger hunts was we had to find a black cat. And so that was just the big old, we had the whole conversation about how scary it is and it's a black cat and it's going to be Satan and it's going to be blah, 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 because it was the 80s and that's, you know, what you were afraid of if you were a teenager. Satanic panic. Satanic panic. They also couldn't tell where the body had been dumped in the river because it's a big river and... Yeah, and it's flowing. Right. So they had really no idea. They were just going to wait until they got some sort of information back. On Monday, a couple days later, on July 13th, the... Livingston County Sheriff's Office got a teletype about a missing person who received a teletype about a missing person who resembled the torso. How do you resemble a torso? Were there tattoos? No. So all they knew is that... He had a barrel chest and narrow hips. (laughs) The missing person... He was wearing shorts. (laughs) (laughs) And a t-shirt. No, this one didn't... This torso didn't have a (laughs) t-shirt. This torso didn't have a t-shirt. I get it confused with the other torsos. All Can't the remember. torsos. Cannot keep them straight. Okay. So, so resembling the torso. The missing person was James Michael Schlosser. He was 22 years old and he had been reported missing from the town of Roundup, which was 100 miles away. Okay. How did they know that this torso was that person though? They didn't. They were just taking a stab in the dark and was like, hey, we have a missing person. Hey, you have a disembodied torso. Maybe they match up. Okay. Was it one of the 23 steps? Schlosser had left home on Friday to drive to Yellowstone Park in his 1969 Opal Cadet sports car. It was yellow with black racing stripes. So it was very, very distinct. Pretty. Yeah. He was six feet tall and about 200 pounds. The age, height, and weight all matched the torso. So at that point, the sheriff decided to put out an alert for the car because he believed that it had probably just been dumped in the area. Okay, you shouldn't dump that car. You shouldn't dump that car. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, back at the farm. Also on July 13th, in Big Sur, California, CHP received a report of a hit and run. Okay. Why does July 13th sound like familiar and important and I'm not sure why? Because that was the day that they received the teletype about James Schlosser being missing. That is it. So the hit and run had happened on a dirt road near Big Sur. A car traveling at a high rate of speed on the wrong side of the road hit a pickup truck being driven by a businessman from Detroit. Because your businessmen always drive their pickup trucks Mm -hmm. through Yellowstone Park. No, he was in Big Sur. Oh, he's in Big Sur. Okay. Yeah. So the pickup truck only got a dented bumper, but the car was no longer drivable. What kind of car was this? That doesn't matter right now. Oh, The okay. businessman offered to drive the two men from in the car to the nearest phone, and they could all report the accident. What kind of business was the businessman in? He was a businessman in a pickup truck from Detroit. What do you think? <laughs> so the mob? <laughs> They don't drive pickups, do they? That's weird. I don't, I don't think of businessmen driving pickups. Maybe he was t- selling tires from Detroit and his pickup truck had the newest kind of tires on it. Okay. So or bodies. They drove to the nearest service station. The two men got out of the pickup and ran away into the woods. Because that's not suspicious. That's at not all. suspicious at all. I just have floaties in the bottom of my cocktail now. Well, it's lime juice things. I know. When you drink two alcohols, you. It, it makes um, things funnier. <laughs> also, I'm a beer girl. I'm not a hard alcohol girl. Who so drinks this... gin and rum? I know. It's weird. Anyway. But it's making my throat and heart really warm. <laughs> it's very warm. It's a warming. <laughs> it makes your heart warm. 
You have a heart. I have a heart. Okay, businessman, truck, so the business kids run away. Businessman calls the police. He gave him a description of the men. He described them as long-haired hippies. And he gave them the vehicle registration number. That is such a 1970s description. He said they look like typical California long-haired hippies. So right out of Haight-Ashbury. Right out of Haight-Ashbury. Okay. So the car turned out, it came back to the missing man, James Schlosser. And the two men were now wanted in connection to the homicide. Why were the hippies wanted and not the businessman? Well, the businessman was driving the pickup truck. (laughs) That makes him innocent? The hippies were driving the Opal. Okay, so the hippies killed the guy that actually bought the opal, and then they stole the opal, and then they hit the businessman. Perhaps. Okay. So Officer Randy Newton, he heard the call come over the radio, and he... No offense to hippies. (laughs) A little offense to hippies. 1970s California (laughs) hippies, but we're from California, and we're also from the 70s. Would you... Yes, we are from the 70s, but we were not born yet. Mm -mm. No, we weren't. So Officer Randy Newton heard the call. He responded and figured that the two men couldn't have gotten far. Good old Randy Newton. He came across them walking across a road near Lucia, <laughs> which I imagine is near Big Sur. I'm from <laughs> California and I don't know where that is. There's just dudes walking across the road. They're hippies. <laughs> that means they walk across the road. So okay. they, neither one of them had identification, identification, but they did admit to being involved in the accident. So at that point, Officer Newton placed them both under arrest. Does Officer Newton have a great big mustache? I imagine he has, it's, he's got to be a CHP officer. I imagine he's wearing those like wool, tan, tight. With the aviator mirror With the aviator mirror sunglasses. (laughs) And the big old mustache. Like Ponch and John, but, well, I don't, I'm assuming he wasn't on a motorcycle because he eventually arrested these people, so. You can't take... People that you arrest on motorcycles. Yeah, so he was probably driving one of those big Crown Vicks. Yeah. So he didn't have the boots, but everything. He probably just wears the boots because his name is Randy what? Newton. Newton. His name is Randy Newton. And the boots, there's part of the look. And the tan pants. <laughs> With the strap down the side. <laughs> so anyway, they he put them both under arrest. Okay. One of the hippies was very eager to talk and said that he was... He needs to shut up. He doesn't shut up. So he said that he's 23-year-old Stanley Dean Baker. The other man was identified by Baker as Harry Allen Stroop. These names are too much. We can pretty much forget about Stroop. He's not even really the point of this, but he's in it. While conducting a pat-down search, Officer Newton found small lengths of bone in Baker's pocket. Gross. Who carries so, bone in their pocket? Officer Newton asked Baker what they were. And Baker, what are links of bone? Officer Baker asked him, what are What these? are links of bone? Okay. And Baker blurted out, they aren't, they ain't chicken bones. They're human fingers. Then he added, I have a problem. I'm a cannibal. Um, so gross. Yeah. At that point, they... I have uh, a problem, I'm a cannibal. That is the quote of the podcast. I have a problem, I'm a cannibal. I was almost going to start my story with that. <laughs> you totally should have. I originally was quote. going to, but anyway. I barely eat chicken. On the way to the jail, or it says on the way to the police station in Monterey, Baker... Can, How'd they get to Monterey? Big Sur's near Monterey. California? Yeah. How'd they get back to California? They were in California. Oh my God, I'm very confused. So they took the car from the guy in Yellowstone. The like Stingray looking car? Drove to California, got in a crash, fled the crash, 
So the businessman in the pickup truck was in Southern California? Well, Monterey. Mid-California. Yeah. So okay. he, the businessman from Detroit was in California on business. <laughs> because every businessman from Detroit goes to California for business in a pickup truck. Okay. To Monterey. <laughs> to Monterey. But yeah, so... He or could, his girlfriend. Baker continued to talk about how he, he had a compulsion for eating flesh. He needs to shut up. At the police station, under further questioning... Baker talked about killing the owner of the Opal Cadet. So he's just admitted to what he did. He admitted to what he did. He said that Harry Stroop had not been with him at the time. Uh, Baker claimed to have been picked up by Schlosser while hitchhiking. And so he didn't know Stroop at all? He Well, here's how Stroop comes in in a second. But okay. Baker said he was hitchhiking. He was picked up by Schlosser. As you do. In the 70s. That's yeah. how you get around. My dad hitchhiked once, and Everyone his parents picked him up. I know, okay, but my dad is hitchhiking on this road that if I said the name, you'd know exactly where he was. So he's hitchhiking on this road, and this car comes up and pulls over to pick him up, and it was his parents. So my dad was hitchhiking, and his parents were picking up a hitchhiker, and they both just didn't talk about it because neither one should have been doing what they were doing. Because you were still, not, like... It was not cool to do, but people, everybody did it. It's like speeding. Correct. I mean, my dad is six foot two when he was in the Navy, so he's not something that you would, you know, like mess with. But my grandparents were sweet little normal 1960s people. I remember. That should not have been pitching up random, picking up random hitchhikers from a road. I remember going places with my best friend's grandfather and he would pick up hitchhikers and we would ride in the bed of the truck he would pick up hitchhikers while you were in with children the car. Oh my we God. were in the bed of the pickup truck and he would pick up hitchhikers and let the hitchhikers sit with him in the cab wow yeah that was a semi-regular thing well my best friend from childhood her husband her husband her father thought that he wanted to save everybody and so they brought home a homeless person once and I spent the night and this homeless person had been living with them for like three days so similar but it was the 80s that's what happened that's how Dateline starts I know right both of those stories are how Dateline starts but what did your parents think of your friend's father picking up hitchhikers with well, you in the truck a it was her grandfather it was Oki Paul b I don't think I ever really mentioned it it wasn't like a I wouldn't thing like I knew my dad was against hitchhiking, so I just didn't say anything. Because uh -huh. I didn't want to Oh my goodness. I remember Sorry, talking to my dad. friend's mom. I know, right? <laughs> I remember talking to my friend's mom and saying something, and, and she was complaining about how this guy was still there, and the father was defending him. We were all sitting around the dinner table, and he's defending him like, well, we're trying to get him to blah, 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 blah. And his mom was like, yes, but he's eating too much. <laughs> Because that's the concern about a stranger How much sleeping in your house yeah. <laughs> with your five children and your daughter's best friend. Yeah, not weird. <laughs> not at all. It's the set. It's the 80s. It was the 80s it by was, then, right? I think it was the 80s by then. Yeah. Early 80s, yeah. Oh, so anyway, where okay, was I? Back to story. So Sloop. after Schlosser had picked up Baker, they camped for the night near the Yellowstone River. In the middle of the night, Baker... So random dude is camping with random dude that he just picked up and hitchhiked yeah because they're they're going to yellowstone but they were like a hundred miles away okay the businessman is camping no the no the hippies are camping 
The one hippie is camping with Schlosser, who's the murder victim, the torso. Got it. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is where it all comes together. Okay. Because drinking in history is a good idea. <laughs> the torso. <laughs> I just called him the torso. <laughs> That's terrible. James. <laughs> That's what he becomes. James Slosher, which I actually read a lot about him. He was a really, really sweet guy. They called him a little bit doughy. Super nice. He helped with his his family's grocery store. That's a wonderful he description. He had horned rim glasses. Aww. College graduate. But he has a f- hot car. Had a hot car. To make up for his doughiness. Probably would have had a wife like very soon, I'm sure. He had a grocery store, horn room glasses, and a hot car. He was, yeah. In the 70s. Aww. Yeah, I know. Anyway, in the middle of the night, Baker woke up and shot Schlosser. Schlosser, that's really hard to say. It is. Twice in the head with a 22 pistol. Well, thank goodness for Small's favors, favors that he shot him before carving him up and, and eating his, well, I'm assuming eating because he's got a problem. He's a cannibal. So, yeah, he dismembered the body, removed the heart. When asked what he did with the heart, he whoa, said... Whoa, whoa, whoa. He removed the heart. That's right. The heart was missing. He removed the heart. He removed the heart and okay. said... When they asked what he did with the heart, he said, I ate it raw. Oh. Okay. So, hence so, the have a heart cocktail. Hence the have a heart cocktail. Okay. Have a... Oh, my God. Have a heart. Have a heart. Have a heart. Um, so I was listening to... An you old- get a heart, and you get a heart, and you get a heart. <laughs> okay, Oprah. I was listening to another podcast today, and they were talking about cannibals. I need to listen to cannibal podcasts today to get ready for this, to get pumped, but I didn't find one, so I listened to Casey Anthony <coughs> on last podcast on the left. So I'm listening to an alter- a different podcast today as I'm making the bed in my rental house, and it's... <coughs> Um, that's why we drink. Yay, I love them. Love it. Um, okay, so they were telling a story about this grandma who killed people and blah, blah, blah. And then one of them just says, oh, somebody else says, and see if I like paid attention, I would know. Somebody else says that the further up you get on the human body, the sweeter the meat is. Why that was a discussion? Was I'm it Jeffrey not really Dahmer? Sure. Because Dahmer had a lot of thoughts about actually cooking and eating people. I don't think that it was Dahmer because I would have, like, I know that name, so I would have perked up on that. But it was someone apparently said, the further you go up on the human body, the sweeter meat is. So heart being, you know, rather close to your shoulders, but it, is probably pretty. It's prop, but raw. Well, why would he eat it raw? Wouldn't he, he didn't cook it? No, he ate it raw, he said. Okay, I would say if you're going to eat human, you got to cook it, right? So... I mean, I don't plan on it. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Speaking from someone Dahmer, who likes their steaks well done... Dahmer has some good recipes, if that's what you're into. <laughs> I just... I want my steak... I, I eat shoe leather. I want my steak to be done all the way through. No pink. So just, I mean, I'm just, you know, let's spitball it here. Let's, let's just leave let's, that alone. Okay. Let's go. Okay. And Baker. I'm fur- not eating any people anytime soon. No. Baker further admitted that he cut off the fingers to have something to chew on. Ew. Yeah. So like a midday snack. A mi- like, you know, you want like a, like some sunflower seeds or like a piece oh. of, a piece of jerky. It's more like a piece of jerky. Piece of jerky, beef, pepper, jerky, Like fingers. a little, a little handful fingers. of almonds to get you through the midnight munchies or. Almonds, phalanges. Either one. Phalanges. 
<laughs> That's what they're called. I got 100% on my physiology bone test. In 1990, I'm not telling. No, 1980, I'm not telling you. Oh, crap, I'm old. So anyway, Baker yeah. claims that he met up with Harry Stroop later after the murder and offered him a ride. Well, thank goodness that he supplied that alibi for Stroop. Mm-hmm. Um, Baker was in possession of a recipe for LSD and the Satanic Bible, which in 1970 speak means that he for sure is a mass murderer and in a cult and did a Satanic murder. Okay. But they might be right. Um, since he's eating human hearts. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Just saying. He, um, and he gave up the location of where they camped. The police searched the area and found blood stains and a hunting knife. Stroop and Baker were both extradited back to Montana. Baker underwent a mental evaluation. He passed. And Stroop... Whoa, 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 whoa. Baker's the guy who ate the guy? Baker's the guy that ate the guy. And he passed a mental evaluation. He did. Oh. Stroop pleaded not guilty. Um, And we'll finish Stroop here. He was ultimately convicted of manslaughter. The judge did not believe that he had nothing to do with it. He was sentenced to 10 years and he was released in two. Okay, so, so it would really suck that you had to serve two years if you didn't do anything, but it would be really, like, yay for me if you really helped eat this guy and you only got two years. Well, That's they, bad. The sources that I read, which I'll explain at the end of the, um, at the end of my story, what my sources were, but uh-huh. they pretty much say that the judge knew that he had done some other bad things like car theft and whatnot and was like, some other assaults and was like, he can, this will pretty much make up for that. I have so many problems with that. 1970s justice. I know, I know, 1970s justice. So anyway. He, in my other life, I'm a civics teacher, and that just bugs me. He was released in two years. Okay. Baker, I was literally on a jury one time. I was, for a, I always wanted to be on a jury. Oh my jury. God, it was so much fun. Okay, so I worked at the court, and I, abs- I went up to the jury clerk, and I said, I want to be on jury duty. So I was on jury duty for this guy who was charged with... Um, drunk driving and um, being under the influence of marijuana. And this is like 19... Oh, goodness. I know. This was before child number one was born. So it had to been early 2000s, early, early 2000s. So anyway, so I'm on this jury for this guy and we're in the jury room and the, the people in the jury room were saying, well, he obviously drinks and drives and smokes marijuana, so we can't just let him go. And I pulled out the whole finger and I'm whipping the finger back and forth. I'm like, and now talk to the hand. We need to convict him on the charges that are brought against him now and what not on what he has done or may do in the future. 12 angry women. Absolutely. I, they didn't like me, but we acquitted him. <laughs> well, not only, okay, not only that, but because I know, <laughs> but, but also the, median in the road that the arresting officer claimed he ran over was not built until three months after the arrest so there was that small town justice absolutely yeah so basically that's all i have except for the baker was convicted of murder he was sentenced to life he was this is the cannibal the cannibal baker yes he was sentenced to life, but Good. in Montana, life sentences could be reevaluated after like 13 years or something. So he was paroled in 1985. Ew. So from there, 
after some time had passed, like in the 90s, the TV show A Current Affair. I remember A Current Affair right? with a triangle. I, yes, and I wanted to find it, and I couldn't find it on YouTube. But anyway, Current Affair went to look for him, found uh-huh. that he had been working at Big Five. and <laughs> Get your sporting goods. Tried to interview him. Anyway, Big Five learned of what he had done. He got fired. Yeah. Ended up ultimately dying of liver cancer. So, oh. yeah, there's a lot of pictures of him, like, in the 90s, what he looked like. And he looked like a guy that might have eaten somebody, but not the crazy eyes. Just like... <laughs> How do you know what a guy who might have eaten somebody looks like? He looks like a guy that did it, but he did it because of drugs, not because of crazy eyes. Oh, which, you know, 70s would fit, right? Mm-hmm. And later on, he even said... No offense if you're from the 70s. We're from the 70s. But we were six. We were six. Um, you don't typically do LSD when you're sick. We didn't do LSD at all. No, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't but he later said that everything he did was because of his hallucinogenic drug issues and that he was not a cannibal. Like, he did those things, but he did it under the influence of the drugs. Okay, but if you eat people... You're a cannibal. Right. But here's one other thing, too. So, also during that time, while he was in California, he admitted to murdering a 40-year-old man, Robert Salem, who was a San Francisco resident, but this happened in L.A. Salem had been stabbed 27 decapitated, and his left ear was severed. So he potentially murdered two people and was out in 1985, which was like probably 14 years, because I imagine from July of 70, by the time the trial happened, Mm -hmm. it was 71. 14 years for murdering and eating two people. Well, he only ate one person. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Okay, So interesting. That is my have a heart cocktail, Stanley Lee Baker. No, Stanley... Was it Alan Baker? Cute little doughy guy in a hot car. Right? James Schlosser is Schlosser. my... Schlosser. Yeah, he's the victim. Um, Yeah, literally have a heart. Have a heart. I don't want to. On a plate. I don't want to. With a fork and knife. No. And salt but and pepper. But raw. And a little sriracha. <laughs> I'm sure he had sriracha in his campfire. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so I, for some reason, when we picked our... Cocktail last time I interpreted, I didn't remember have a heart. I remembered Valentine's Day, which was. Well, hearts are a symbol of Valentine's Day. Yes. And what was the thing about Valentine's Day last time? We had a. Well, because I screwed up. Yeah, I remember that. And mine was not on topic. (laughs) And mine happened on Valentine's Valentine's Day. Day. Right. (laughs) Because we were doing champagne. Okay. So I, um, oh, oh, yeah, before what? we, before you start my sources. Yes. So, we did not share our sources last time. And that irritated me because, you know, yes. Teacher. So I used Murderpedia. Okay. I used an article from USA Today. Look at you with multiple sources. High five. Bow, bow. Air. And I used one more, but I can't remember what it was. And I should have written it down, but it was like the local paper from like Montana or Wyoming, wherever it happened. Uh-huh. And it was from the 
someone who knew James I knew Schlosser. A guy, I knew a guy. She knew James Schlosser. Like her brother was friends with him and just told a little bit about him, how he like worked in the grocery store. He had horn rim glasses. Like he was doughy, like that kind of stuff. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I don't remember that one, but I'll look it up. Okay. All right. So my sources, since we're on sources, is Blood, Roses, and Valentine's website. Yum. Have a heart. I know. Have a heart. Can you guess what I'm going to do? Because history. Because history. And in my brain, Valentine's. Um, so I am doing the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. 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 I've not had any alcohol today at all. Especially not a gin, gin and rum cocktail. <sighs> Whose idea was the gin and rum cocktail? But you know what? When you mentioned gin and rum being weird together, it's I was weird. like, okay, that's weird, but not if you also <laughs> add vodka and triple sec. Then it's normal. Then it's a Long Island iced tea. And who drinks those? I love those. I don't drink those. We're going to do those one time. Yeah, maybe. I make that a be. great Long Island. Okay. And or I will have to do something from Long Island. Oh my goodness. Long Island. That's how you say it if you're from there. Long Island. Okay. Everyone from Long Island, tell her how she's wrong. I lived in Buffalo. I went to University of Buffalo in the 90s, and that's how they said it. Long Island. Okay, so all of you creepy people that want to murder us, just put another pin in where we're from. But we're not from Long Island. We're not, but we're, you or can Buffalo. still tell your past because Google. There was no Google in the 90s. Thank goodness. As a teacher, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, everything you do is being recorded, and thank goodness there was no cameras around when I was your age. Hail that. Right? Okay, so I um, was not as thorough this week, and I did not research as much as I should have this week. Which is unusual for her, by the way. <sighs> yes, because I'm typically... The one that does all the work. Rather type A-ish. Anyway, so, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I'm actually excited about this because everybody knows that it happened. Right. But who knows the details? I don't. So this website is amazing. It has every little detail that you could possibly want. So the St. Valentine's Day Massacre happened in 1929. However, the events that set it in motion happened five years before in 1924. There's this whole, this is, you know, prohibition. The people are wanting booze and blah, blah, blah. The, there's a big war in Chicago between the North Siders who are run by Dion O'Banion. And the sharks? No, it's not the floods and the sharks. <laughs> the jets and the sharks? The jets, jets and the sharks. And the sharks. <laughs> Musical theater. Um, so Dion O'Banion ran the North Side outfit, who was obviously Irish mob, and the South Side outfit, which was controlled by Johnny Torino. Torio. Torio. It's got to be Johnny Torio. I can say Torio. I really can't. It's not as hard as Schlosser. It's not. I can say Torio. So Johnny Torio, kind of a famous gangster, yeah, had his number two, who was Al Capone. What? I know. So, Al Capone. I've been watching a lot of Psych, so I feel like I'm Gus right now. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I love Psych. So, Johnny Torrio, Al Capone. They have the South Side. Irish have the North Side. Torrio orders an assassination on O'Banion. This starts an all-out war. Chicago is just at war. Um, the North Siders retaliate, and they almost kill Torrio. Torrio says... 
bam, I'm out. So he gives Capone the operations and he takes off. He's done. He's just going to take care of it. He's like, no, I'm over it. You do your thing. Capone decides, well, we need to retaliate. So they, he almost gets killed. He shoots and tries to kill Jaime Weiss because, you know, Jaime, and it's not J-A-I-M-E. I was going to say, that sounds like a Jewish last name. Jaime? No, Weiss sounds Jewish. Maybe, but Jaime is spelled H-Y-M-I-E, so. Yeah, that's a Jewish name. I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, um, so Jaime Weiss running the Northside mob after O'Banion dies. He dies. Now the gang is in the hands of George Mug- George Bugs Moran. He and Capone hate each other. Hate each other. Power play? Yes, pretty much. They're taunting each other. They're trying to, you know, kill each other. So Moran, 1929, beginning of 1929, Moran sides with Joe Alio. They decide they're going to attack Capone. So Alio goes and he guns down Pasqualano Lolorado. Not Italian at all. No, no. He's he's German. Um, <laughs> so one Capone's there. So Capone says, nope. Not having it. I'm going to get you all on February 14th. So he's kind of like Babe Ruth. But does he do it because of Valentine's Day? Or is he just picking a convenient day for him? Like, I have February 14th open. I don't know. I I don't know that that is known. However, it just says that Capone vows he's going to get him on February 14th. So Capone saying he's going to get this guy on the 14th. But he's in Miami. He's not even in Chicago. He's just chilling in Miami. And he says, welcome to Miami. I'm thinking that it does have to do with Valentine's Day because he says, I have a special Valentine I'm going to give you. There's my quote. I I have have a special special Valentine Valentine I'm going to give give you. you. Okay. So he is in Miami and he's going to get the other guys in Chicago on the February 14th. Now you would think, here's my thing, here's my thing. Capone says, I'm gonna get you on February 14th. So then when some guy from Detroit, who was- Not a businessman. <laughs> not a businessman, I mean, yes, he was a businessman. He was a businessman, but he did not drive a Not job. the businessman. Not the businessman. Different era, different time period, the whole thing. So Capone had called this dude in Detroit and said, hey, I want you to call Moran and I want you to tell him that you have a special shipment of whiskey because this was 1920s, prohibition, booze was illegal, which is just wrong on so many levels, but it was. So, I have a special shipment of hijacked whiskey from Canada, and I'm going to deliver it to this particular garage on the north side. You need to go get it. Now, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing, really. Your sworn enemy has said, I'm going to get you on the 14th of February. And then you get this call from this random dude from Detroit that says... I have a shipment of whiskey that's coming in on February 14th. You in should this... come get it. Right? On the north side. Hello, brains. Anyway, so Adam Heyer, who is a friend of Moran, owns this particular garage, and they always used it for a distribution site. They, it, was, it was known. It was at 2122 North Clark Street. Well, that's a front for booze. I mean, they really didn't do any of the shipping, hauling, or long-distance 
Except hacking. if booze was involved. Unless it was booze, right. So, Brand gets his call. He says, come to the garage the morning of... He gets his call. Go to the garage. He's going to be there. He's going to meet the truck. Yeah. Morning of February 14th. Moran, his guys, show up at the Clark Street garage. He's got Johnny May, who was an ex-safe cracker, who was hired as an auto mechanic. I'm not really sure that those skills translate. I mean, you got fine motor skills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so he's, yeah, he's a safe cracker I was, and an auto if mechanic. If that was on my resume, I could make it work. You could. I could be like, I have fine motor skills. <laughs> I'm like well versed in working in confined spaces. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you can be under the hood. I have an attention to detail. Attention to detail. All of those skills. See, yeah. it all it all works. Okay. So Johnny May is hanging out at the garage and he's working on a pickup truck and tied of to the his man. pickup truck. Oh my goodness, this makes me sad. Has his German shepherd oh, named Highball. No. I know. So don't, I don't want to hear about okay, it. Okay, highball is okay. Highball okay, lives. Okay, okay. Highball lives. So highball is tied to the truck. I was just <coughs> thinking about vacation. Vacation? Don't you remember the dog gets tied to the back of the family truckster? No. And then they find the leash dragging by itself like miles down the road. That's sick and horrible. Uh, I can't think about it. Okay. All right, so we've got... Our safe cracker, who doubles as an auto mechanic, and his sweet little doggy, the German short hair highball, tied to the truck. Besides that, they've got six other guys, because, you know, they're getting a truck full of hijacked whiskey. You need muscle. Um, we've got Frank and Peter Gusenberg. They were going to meet Moran and with two empty pickup trucks and drive to Detroit to get all the whiskey. James Clark, who is Moran's brother-in-law. Um, Adam Heyer, Al Weinshank, and this guy cracks me up, Reinhardt Schwimmer. Sweaty <laughs> <laughs> balls. <laughs> okay, well, poor little Reinhardt Schwimmer. <laughs> he was just a young optometrist who was friends with Moran and thought, this sounds exciting. I want to go to. I know. He just wanted to go hang out with gangsters and, you know, Public service announcement, don't hang out with gangsters. It's usually not fun. So. I mean, it sounds fun, but it's probably not a good idea. Well, Reinhardt Schwimmer's fate. So, George Moran's running late. He's supposed to be there at 1030. He misses the rendezvous. He is hanging out with Willie Marks and Ted Newbury, and they're just hanging out talking, waiting outside the warehouse, shooting the shit like dudes do. They're over here hanging out. And meanwhile, all these guys are at the garage waiting for him. And as they're all waiting, they see a police car come up, pull up. So they think, okay, it's a shakedown. Somebody's got us. We're going to go have a cup of coffee and not go in. So Moran and his friends see this police car and they duck over to have a cup of coffee. So five guys get out of the police car. Two of them are in uniform. Three of them are in civilian clothing. Hmm. They go into... Five the... guys got out of one police car. <laughs> it was the 20s. Anyway, yeah. Because that happens often. And only two of them are in uniform. So these five guys get out of the police car. They go into... Immediately go into this building. And then within minutes of them entering, machine gun fire. Rat-a-tat-tat. Rat-a-tat-tat. And then pretty soon, five guys come out. 
they get in their police car. Do a couple of them have uniforms and the rest of them not? Yes. And they get in their police car and they just drive off. And then the only sound you hear is Highball crying. I know. Poor Highball. Poor Highball. So the landlady. that's a good dog name. I know. I want a dog named Highball now. But like a dachshund because he's low and you name him Highball. (laughs) Landlady next door. Genetic. Jeanette. I have not been drinking Genetic. <laughs> That's a pretty name. <laughs> Mrs. Jeanette Landsman. Genetic Landsman. <laughs> Anyhow, she is annoyed by Highball and she sends one of her boarders, because she's got boarders, because mm-hmm. it's the 20s, um, C.L. McAllister to find out what's happening. So CL goes in. I also like in the the 20s how you didn't actually have to have a name. You could just be like, my name's CL. CL, yeah. And I'm going to rent a room in your house and it's not creepy. So CL goes into the garage and he comes out a minute later, two minutes later, pardon me, and his face is white. And he runs up to the stairs and he begs Mrs. Landstrom to call the police. He says, the garage is full of dead men. Call the police. The garage is full of dead men! Because, I don't know why you wouldn't just call the police. Does it cost money to make phone calls in those days? I'm not sure. Anyway, so the police get there quickly and they enter the garage and they're like, oh crap, there's a lot of blood. There are dead men here. (laughs) Yes, so apparently all these guys have been lined up against the rear wall and then just massacred. They were just sprayed with machine gun fire. There's just like divots in the bullets of where the machine gun divots in the bricks where the bullets had been like bouncing off it was crazy so literally all i knew about the saint valentine's day massacre is that there was like lots of machine guns lots so of machine guns that's so they're lined up against a wall yeah. like you know the death and squad. I, I actually kind of remember hearing that but i never pictured it being in a closed area yeah I always thought it was like an alleyway. Right, so did I. But it's in this little garage. So they had these guys lined up against this wall. They sprayed him with machine gun. Um, Peter Gusenberg was died kneeling and slumped over a chair. So I can only imagine he was probably begging for his life. Um, James Clark fell with his face on his face. And half of his head was gone. I don't feel my face when you shoot me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Hire and Schwimmer and Wineshank and May were all flat on their backs, completely lifeless, obvi. And one dude lived, it was Frank Gusenberg, and he had crawled from the blood sprayed wall where he had fallen and dragged himself in the middle of the dirty floor. He's taken to the hospital. Okay, this is what's interesting. So this Frank Gusenberg guy lives. He's taken to the hospital. He's barely hanging on to life. And the police get to him. Clarence Sweeney is the police sergeant. And he gets to them and he's like, okay, we've grown. He's gr- they've grown up together. They lived on the same streets. It's Chicago in the 1920s. So the kids are all playing outside. So they knew each other. And he says, who shot you? And Gusenberg answers, no one. <gasps> Nobody shot me. Oh. I know, right? So he's but dead. But he's dying. He knows he's dying. He's dying and he still won't say. Right. So that tells me, yeah, badass guys. Like you don't Like wanna... almost like he thought he, there would be more retaliation for him yes. ratting on 
Yes, because oh. he's going to die. Because he died. He like groaned and then died. That's like, that instant. He still will not say who killed. That's him. harsh. Right. So the massacre actually killed seven people, um, but the guy that they were supposed to kill, Moran, didn't get killed because he stopped off at the coffee shop when he saw the cop car. Which makes him obviously a little... Yes. So he is saying, Capone killed me, Capone killed me. And Capone's like, I was in Miami. Uh, yeah, so all uh, all the cops were like, well, he's in Miami. But Moran kept saying, Capone did it. Capone kills guys like that. And Capone retaliates with, no, Moran kills guys like that. They're both gangsters. They both had something to gain from getting rid of these people. But Moran is sitting there scot-free in the coffee shop looking like he could have been the one that did it. Yes, because he ducked off right at the last minute. And nobody ends up getting anything. There's two guys that could have given Brandon an alibi, but they died before there was a trial. That's crazy. When I know. You know how sometimes that just happens? It like, does. People just die. It's weird. It's like almost like you get subpoenaed to be a witness in a trial and then you die. Suddenly you come down with bullet in the brain. It's crazy. Lead poisoning. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So the same Valentine's Day massacre marked the end of any real opposition to Capone, and he pretty much took over Chicago. Well, look how it worked for him now and because he's shit. a haunted ghost. Well, okay, interesting that you mention ghost. Of course, yes. So um, Capone felt until the day that he died that he was haunted by the ghost of one of the guys from the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And... I hope it was Highball's owner. It was not. It was not. But he... So he kept saying that he's haunted by this guy's ghost. He went to prison in Philadelphia for a little while. Eastern State Penitentiary. Yes. Okay, but here's the thing. So he's in prison. They give him a private cell. They let him make long-distance phone calls. Yeah, he's not really in prison, but he's in quote-unquote prison. So he's running his whole operation from here. And all of, so like all of the prisoner guys around him would hear him in the middle of the night screaming, "Um, Jimmy, Jimmy, no, get away. So it was obviously Jimmy that was the ghost. And fight and fighting with this guy, Jimmy. Um, Which if you've heard any of like the ghost like adventures or ghost hunters or whatever uh-huh. from there, they always mention Capone and they always mention that. Right. So, but here's, so you'd think, okay, because we all know that Capone died of syphilis years later and that eats your brain. So it can easily be written off that this, I mean, I don't yeah. know how I feel about ghosts. That's a whole nother issue, but. I do know how I feel about it, but uh-huh. it's complicated. Yeah, okay, maybe that's how I feel about it. It's complicated. We'll go with that. It's complicated. I'll discuss it, but... We'll absolutely discuss it. But I want to keep telling my story. I know. Okay, so... You can easily write off all of this raving as syphilitic brain, right? But no. So anyway, this dude that drove Capone around, his chauffeur... Okay, so this particular chauffeur went into the house one time to pick up Capone... And he saw this shadowy figure lurking by the curtains. And he said, hey, what are you doing here? And the figure went behind the curtains. He went behind the curtains and there was nobody there. So then he called the bodyguards to come in and search the room. Nobody there. 
which, you know, the whole Jimmy story. But so then he, Jimmy followed him for the rest of his life back to our little warehouse. So that's Capone. So anyway, so this whole little warehouse where all the people were killed in this particular wall, they put a little plaque on the place, on the warehouse in Clark Street. In 1949, the garage was turned into an antique furniture and storage business. Who and had now known... it sells craft kombucha. No. Oh. I'm going to tell you what it does. Because if it was in California, it would sell craft kombucha. Totally. It's not. It's in Chicago. There's like people have brains They sell craft brats. <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing as a craft brat? I bet there is. It's a charcuterie. Oh, I'm sure. It's a charcuterie store. I'm sure. Boiled in this specialty beer. So anyhow, in 1949, they opened this antique store and... People come to the store to, they had no clue what the building was before. They just opened this antique store. And people come to the building to see the wall. In 1969, they demolished the building. And this guy, this Canadian businessman. Ooh. He's from Canada. Does he drive a snowplow? It does not. But in 1972, he opened a nightclub where it had been, and he puts it in a 1920s theme. And oh, he builds, nice. he buys the bricks, and he rebuilds the wall. That would be fun, actually. In the men's. Like an Instagram wall? Yes, an Instagram wall. But he puts it in the men's restroom, and three nights a week, he allows ladies to go in to take photos near the wall. I love it. I know, right? So there's this 1970s nightclub, because... In Chicago, there's no cocaine there. Um, 1970s nightclub in Chicago where they let women in the men's room. It went under. Oh, how did that? I don't know. How did that? No, because it's before Instagram. That's it why. was before Instagram. You could not Instagram. But so the so when it went under, he had 417 bricks and he takes them and he puts them in storage. Then he's like, okay, I got to make money to support my cocaine habit. Oh no, I don't know if that's true. But it's all 1970s. In all, it's just a in another brick in Chicago. the wall. Anyway, so this dude had 417 bricks and he's like, ooh, I gotta figure out how to make money. I'm gonna sell these bricks. So he sells these bricks for a thousand dollars each. Selling these bricks. Wait, when was this that he was trying to get a thousand for them? Well, he opened his nightclub in 1972. It was open for a few years, so say so 75. Like, like even maybe 1980, he was trying to get a grand for a brick. Yeah, well, he did though. He sold a ton oh, of them. Wow. Did I they know. still have the impression? They had the pop okay. marks and everything from okay. the bullets. So I can see that. Se- yeah, he's selling these bricks, but pretty soon people start sending the bricks back. They're haunted. Yes! Because everybody who gets the brick either gets sick or loses all of their it's money. Like the I heard a podcast about people taking petrified forest, like taking the, what is it? It's not even rock, is it? Woodish wood. rock that used to be wood. Petrified wood. It's yeah, petrified, petrified wood. wood. Okay. So people take petrified wood from the petrified forest and then... They have bad luck. They get sick, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And then they send it back with apology letters. And they have a whole wall of apology so, letters. So like um, Robert the Doll? 
Have you heard anything about Robert yes. the Doll? Yes. Yes. Okay, interesting. So these bricks, people would send them back because they didn't want them anymore. Because See, they made I, people have bad luck. I wouldn't have paid a grand for it. Hell no. Especially not 1980 or 70. Which is like how many grand now, right? right? However, I would have been susceptible to buying that. If it was in my price really? range. A brick from the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? I probably would. I don't know that I... No, I don't think I'd buy it. I would look at it and say, okay, that's really cool. If it was in my price range, I would have bought it. I think that I... if Had I come across that at a flea market or something like that, I don't think that I would seek it out I would, to purchase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have sought it out. Like, if I'm on well, eBay... This is pre, but this is pre-eBay. I know, I know. This I know. is like he, they had to... He had to advertise and they had to find him. Kind of crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So, Al Capone and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So, that's your story? That's my story. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Second episode of Crime and Time on the Rocks. Second of at least five. Basically, what you'll find out from us is that we're not experts. No, we're not experts. We are drunks. drunks. And we hope you like this podcast. So... What if people like this and they want to talk to us? They can contact us. There's How? a number of ways. Okay, what? So you can email us at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. And we also would be happy to have your cocktail suggestions. Yes, please send us cocktail ideas. Um, you can talk to us on Facebook at Facebook at Crime and Time on the Rocks. We're on Instagram too. We're at Crime and Time, and Child Number One handles our Instagram it's for adorable. the most part. It's so. adorable. Um, and Twitter, we're at Crime and Time. So tweet at us, or you know, whatever you do. Whatever you do. Thank you for listening.